stuck on an escalator. What can they possibly do? Now, that's a pretty silly example of how people who clearly have knowledge or should have knowledge are not putting the knowledge that they have into practice. And by not putting it into practice, they're stuck and they're getting nervous and they're experiencing fear and they feel helpless and they can't get any profitable work done and a host of other problems sort of entraps and enclouds these people who have knowledge but just can't put it into practice. And so we can look at them and ask the obvious question, why don't they just move their feet? Like, why don't they know that the escalator is only part of the means by which they reach their destination? That their legs and their effort are also a part of accomplishing the task that the escalator set them on, which was reaching the higher floor. But as we start our look into first, uh, second Peter today, sorry, I think we'll find that Peter is a little concerned that his Christian friends run a similar risk. And that in terms of their means to godliness, to right living, Peter is worried that his Christian friends would forget that they actually have the knowledge they need for everything in life and godliness, for holy living, but they have to put that knowledge into practice. That the knowledge has been given, and putting knowledge to use is the means by which the right practices come about, by which they accomplish the path that God has put them on. And if they do put that knowledge into practice, then they can avoid feeling anxious and they can avoid fearfulness and they can avoid uh, being stuck in their Christian life, unable to be productive. And so if you're there today, if you're sort of thinking, I'm sort of stuck, I'm sort of nervous, I'm sort of fearful about where I am with God, I'm, I'm sort of stuck in my Christian life and I don't really know whether I'm being fruitful, then you can look at the text today and you can and you can see if that sort of pattern emerges as Peter writes, that if he has something to say about the knowledge that we have and about how we just have to put that knowledge into practice and not be stuck and look like that on the escalator. So it's Second Peter, and I'm just looking at verses 1 to 12, Second Peter chapter 1 as we begin this. And if you've been if you've been doing in your study, you've been doing the book. I'm you're probably either ahead, way ahead of me because I'm slowing down as I go through this, and that's okay. You can just do your book a little bit slower, and you can use the notes in the bulletin uh, to fill in some some of your group nights as well. Uh, but we will get through first, second, first and second Peter and Jude eventually, and finish the book. Second Peter one one to twelve. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers... 
Be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth that you now have. So Peter here talks a lot about knowledge. He starts off by saying his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Everything we need, he says, we have through an experiential knowledge. It's epinosco of God. The epinosco, you know, epidermis is outside, epi, experiential, external, Gnostic is knowledge. So we have this external knowledge, he says, this experience of Jesus. He says, of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Well, who's the knowledge of him that we have? Is he talking about God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit? And you can really use all of them, because if it is the Father, it is the Father who calls us. God the Father calls us to his glory. But you can also say that him is Jesus, because Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Or you could say it's the Holy Spirit because we're told when Jesus leaves in John 16 that the Holy Spirit will come and teach us in all truth. And so it's the Holy Spirit that's teaching us this knowledge. And so it's the whole Trinity really here that we have knowledge of, this external knowledge. And so Peter starts that way. And and through the book of 2 Peter, this verb to know is found 16 times. 16 times Peter repeats to his Christian brothers and sisters, you know, you know, you know, you know, you have the knowledge. And so now as you read that first verse there, doesn't it remind you of our study in 1 Corinthians? If you can remember back with me last year when we started the letter in 1 Corinthians, Paul opens up his letter in 1 Corinthians this way. He says, for in him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in in you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. And so Peter and Paul both start out their letters here very similarly. Peter says, you have everything for life and godliness because of your knowledge of him who called you. And Paul says that you have been enriched in every way and in all knowledge because of Christ. And so they both start out saying, you've got everything you need. You've got, you've got, you've been enriched in every way. You've got everything through our, through knowledge of God and Jesus. And Jesus says the greatest commandment is this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And so this morning I call it a celebration of true knowledge because I just want to take a minute to just celebrate the idea of knowledge. I just want to, I just want to be enthusiastic about the idea that we have knowledge of who Jesus is, who God is, and that that knowledge equips us with everything that we need. And that as a Christian life, our Christian life is not just sort of, you know, God is out there and, and he loves me and, and uh, you know, I'm just going to sort of take that good news and the next, you know, 40 years of my life will all be fine. The Christian life is actually unapologetically a life of, of thought and of thinking and of knowledge and of study that we can actually look into the things of God. As we looked at at Easter, when we're confronted with the evidence of the empty tomb, the Christian faith is not one that divorces itself from reality. In fact, the Christian faith unapologetically attaches itself to historical, real events. And if those historical, real events cannot be analyzed and assessed and our faith placed in the real things that happened, that God actually intervened in our world, then, then what's the point of our faith? 
And the Christian life is the same way. It's actually based on knowledge. It's not just emotion. It's not just feeling. It's not just an idea. It's not just a concept. It's about knowledge. And so I just want to take a little bit this morning to, to look at Second Peter here and Peter's concern for his brothers and sisters here that their faith be established in knowledge and that they do love God with all their heart and soul and with their mind. And at the end of chapter 1 here, Peter's going to mention the confirmation of this knowledge that we have in the prophets. He says we have this knowledge even told to us by the prophets, he says at the end of chapter 1. And I actually want to turn to the prophets right now, actually, and see what they have to say about God and knowledge as we sort of celebrate this notion of, of our minds and, and knowledge and thinking and being thoughtful Christians. And just make sure as we look back into the Old Testament, what the prophets said and what God say, to just make sure that this isn't something new that the apostles have come up with, or this is just something that you know I'm coming up with, that it is actually what God has been teaching. And so if we were to go back even to Isaiah's prophecy, speaking the words of God, he's speaking the oracles of God about what will happen to Israel. This is what he says in Isaiah 5.13. He says, therefore, this is God speaking, therefore my people, Israel, will go into exile for lack of understanding or lack of knowledge. Their men of rank will die of hunger and their masses will be parched with thirst. And so God is predicting that Israel is going to go into exile for a lack of knowledge because of a lack of understanding. And then in Hosea, you move ahead into Hosea. Hosea is teaching the people about what is happening right now to Israel during this time. And in Hosea 4.6, he says, My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priests. Because you have ignored the law of your God, I will also ignore your children. And so now Hosea is dealing with Israel and teaching and, and prophesying in Israel during the time that they're in exile and during the time that they are being destroyed. <laughs> and he's saying, this is what is happening. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. And then finally, if you, if you keep going forward, as God keeps speaking through his prophets, if you look at Malachi... He's describing the low state that Israel has fallen into just 400 years before Jesus comes, right? There's that 400 years of silence after Malachi, 400 years where God stops talking and then Jesus comes. And, and Israel's at a low point again and Malachi is speaking as to what's happened to Israel. And he says in Malachi 2, 7 to 8, he says, For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge. And from his mouth men should seek instruction, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. But you have turned from the way, and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. And so these are pretty amazing verses. As we just look to see where God has placed the importance of knowledge in our faith and in the life of his people. He says through Isaiah that ultimately Israel is going to be exiled and Israel is ultimately going to be taken into captivity because of the lack of knowledge. He's saying they're going to give up on knowledge and they're eventually going to be destroyed because of that. And then in Hosea, he's explaining to the people of Israel why they are being destroyed. He says, it's because you've rejected knowledge. That's why this is happening. You've rejected knowledge of me. And then Malachi lays into the priesthood for their responsibility, saying they're supposed to be preserving knowledge and speaking instruction, but they have violated the covenant of Levi. And that's a whole other really neat sermon, which maybe I'll do sometime, but that covenant of Levi is really cool. But anyway, its summary is, is that the covenant of Levi is they're supposed to be preserving knowledge and teaching, and they're not doing it. And so this knowledge is important to God. It's God's intent that his people would have knowledge of him, and by knowledge of him would prosper. And just one more look at the importance of knowledge. 
in our faith. Paul's famous assessment of the fundamental sin of mankind in Romans 1. When Paul is explaining the problem with mankind, you know, he doesn't talk about, you know, smoking and drinking and chewing tobacco and dancing and all that stuff. When Paul is talking about the fundamental sin of mankind, here's what he says is the problem with mankind. He says, for although they knew God, they knew, but they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks for him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. What's the fundamental sin of mankind? We've rejected our knowledge of God. Knowledge is fundamental to our faith. And so the desire of Peter in his second letter to the churches is to remind them of all of this that they know, to make sure they do not, like Israel before them, suffer from lack of knowledge or reject the knowledge that they have or embrace wrong knowledge. And so this it's a short letter, it's only three chapters long, but Peter goes over and over and over again about the importance of knowledge. You have the knowledge, don't forget it, don't reject it, don't listen to the wrong knowledge. And so Peter's simple recipe for knowledge in our faith is this. It's the first sort of thing at knowledge we're going to look at uh, this sermon, and then we'll look at other stuff in weeks to come. Knowledge, verses 2 and 3, leads to practice, verses 5 to 7, which leads to fruitfulness in verse 8. So knowledge, verses 2 and 3, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Grace and peace comes through knowledge, and knowledge gives us everything we need for life and godliness. And that's a relatively simple equation, right? From knowledge of God comes grace and peace and everything we need. And without knowledge, we don't have everything we need. And I think that makes perfect sense. So as we have greater knowledge of God, we have a greater abundance of the things we need. And I could rephrase that into something more obvious, just to show how obvious the equation is. Desserts and appetizers come through the knowledge of cooking, and the cookbook has given us everything we need for delicious food and snacks through our knowledge of the master chef. You understand what I'm saying? So we get knowledge of something, we get knowledge of cooking, and delicious food and snacks and appetizers come through that knowledge that we have that's been given to us by this person, this master chef who has written the cookbook for us. Okay? So it's really simple. Peter's not saying anything complicated here. He's saying we have knowledge of God. He's given us this knowledge of him and everything that we need for all the goodness in our life comes from that knowledge. And so if we want godly things, those things come from the knowledge of God. And so there's an importance to right knowledge to result in right practice. Right? It's that simple. If you want to bake the dessert correctly, if you want to make the dinner correctly, you have to follow the knowledge of the recipe correctly. And so from right knowledge comes right practice. And from wrong knowledge, which will be later on in the letter, evidently comes wrong practice. But that's okay. So we have this knowledge. So knowledge is the source of the right things happening, the right practices. What are the right practices? Verse 5 to 7. He says, Through these things he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. And for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. And so now Peter says, if you want to participate in this divine nature, here's what you do. And this is the only imperative I could find in the first chapter. Remember, sometimes we go through the letter and we look for the imperatives, which are commands. 
And the only imperative that I could find here is this one command that Peter gives. He says, make every effort. That's the only command here. Make every effort. You have knowledge and the promises of God. Now make every effort to put it into practice. Now what's interesting to me here is that Peter does not say perhaps what you would expect in the second part after the first part. Okay, He does not say... Through the knowledge of Jesus, you have been given everything you need and you've been given all these great promises and for this very reason, do nothing. You already have everything and all the promises are yours and participation in the divine nature. So relax. Take it easy. Just let go and let God. Right? You've heard that before? That's what he says, right? He says, Peter, Peter starts off, he says, you have everything in the knowledge of God and you have all these promises. And he doesn't say, so relax, don't do anything. There's nothing you need to do because you already have it all. He doesn't say that. What he says, and not what any other apostle ever says, no other apostle ever says that, Peter says, for this very reason that you do have knowledge and promises and participation in the design, divine nature, That is the reason you now pour your effort into seeing your godliness and holiness and sanctification blossom and make itself visible to you and to everyone else. He says you have everything and you have these promises and so now make every effort. Don't sit back and do nothing. Start working. Start earnestly pursuing these things. Now Peter here is talking about our sanctification, not our justification, right? For our justification, which is being counted as righteous, it's the forgiveness for our sins. Let me just get doctrinal for you for a minute, because I want to separate this. Okay? You're justified by faith in Jesus Christ alone. You are made, counted as righteous, forgiven for your sins. You will go to the court, and God will count you as not guilty. You are justified, considered blameless before God. And there's nothing we can do to earn our justification. There's nothing we can offer God to be justified. The full payment has been made and we can rest in our justification. That's not what Peter's talking about here though. He's talking about godliness. He's talking about holiness. Justification never comes alone. We're saved by faith alone, but true faith is never alone, as has been famously said. Right? Along with true faith comes sanctification, which is the process by which we're transformed from one degree to another into the likeness of Christ. And that's called holiness, or here it's called godliness, or even righteousness. That's sanctification. And that's what Peter's talking about here. And so he's saying, you don't just rest in your sanctification. You've been given everything that you need in the knowledge of God. You've been given these great promises. You are participating in the divine nature, but now you make every effort in your sanctification and in your godliness and in the growth of these qualities of God. Peter says, because you have this knowledge, you now make your justification sure. You assure yourself that your justification is real and live out the Christian life as it's meant to be lived. You take your faith and add goodness. And then you add deeper knowledge to that goodness. And then you add greater self-control. And then you add perseverance. And then you add godliness. And then you add brotherly kindness. And then you add Christ-like love. You just keep adding to this sanctification over and over and over again. You earnestly pursue those things. And now I don't know if any of these are given in any specific order. You could go through that list. And my aim today is not to go through that list and sort of analyze the order and how they all interact with each other. The point is, Peter has said, you have knowledge and you know the right way to act and right knowledge should lead to right practices and so make every effort to act rightly in your knowledge. 
Now, Paul says the very similar thing this way in Philippians 2.12, if you want to go back to Paul. Therefore, my dear brothers, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So Paul is saying, obey, work it out, keep the effort up to work out your salvation. There's a right practice that flows or should flow from our knowledge of God and from our knowledge of God and from his promises and, and from our faith in those things and from our salvation. There's a, there's a right practice and there's a sanctification. There's a godliness, a holiness that should take place. And as we work those things out through our lives, they result in fruitfulness. Right knowledge leads to right practices, which leads to fruitfulness. That's the third point, fruitfulness. Peter states it in the negative, and I've rephrased it into the positive. He says, first Peter says, or sorry, second Peter says, one eight, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I've taken his negative phrasing and made it positive. He says, if you possess those things, you're not ineffective and not unproductive, and I've just made them effective and productive and fruitful. And so if we have this right knowledge of God that equips us with everything we need in order to put those qualities into practice in our lives, and if we have these qualities and we keep growing in them, a sign that you're not rejecting the knowledge, a sign that you have true knowledge, an assurance for you that you're not lacking in it, will be that you will be effective and productive in your Christian life through these character qualities that Peter has listed. Right? That you will be fruitful in, in the knowledge that you have. He goes on to say, but if anyone does not have them, then he is nearsighted and blind and he's forgotten that he has been cleansed by his past sins. Or as James might say it, if you'd rather go to James, because they all say the same thing, they're not in disagreement, James says faith without works is dead, right? And so Peter's saying the same thing. He says you have this knowledge, you have these promises, and you have the nature of the divine nature of God in you in the Holy Spirit, and so you should see these qualities then being added to your life because faith without works is dead. And if these qualities and if these activities, if this practice is not in your life, then you're ultimately unfruitful in your faith. And there's actually a bonus outcome of this. So 3B, the bonus outcome is not just fruitfulness, but assurance. And a lot of people struggle here too, don't they? A lot of people struggle with, am I really saved? Am I really a Christian? Am I really pleasing to God? Am I really being obedient? And Peter says that the, the bonus outcome here is not only are you fruitful, but you also gain assurance. He says, as you have this knowledge and you persevere in these qualities growing in your life and you keep adding to them in your sanctification and, and your godliness and your holiness, Second Peter 1, 10 to 11 says, Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so you get this, this sort of bonus benefit, which is assurance of the fact that as you're growing in these qualities and as you're growing in these practices, that your election and your calling is sure, that it's certain that you do belong to Christ and that you are being obedient and that he is pleased with you. And so Peter lays out a process. By absorbing knowledge of the prophets and the apostles, you acquire knowledge. And that knowledge is useful in explaining what is right about God and yourself. And that knowledge will lead to dependable conduct and qualities. And from that dependable conduct and qualities, you'll have predictable results. And so those predictable results of, of those changes in your life, your results 
will give you confidence in the correctness of the knowledge that you have. It will affirm that what you believed about the promises and the apostles and about Christ as those things shape your life and the results predictably are good, then your confidence grows. And your, co- your relationship with God grows deeper in trust. And a trustworthy relationship builds you know, admiration or you would call it respect or awe or fear of the Lord towards God. And as that trust and that awe deepens your faith and becomes increasingly more profound, your love of God increases who started this whole process by giving you knowledge of him. And so Peter says it's a, whole, it's a whole loop, it's a whole circle. As you take this knowledge of the prophets and of the apostles, and you take that knowledge of God, and you put it into practice in your life, and as that practice actually manifests changes, and, and the results of that practice and those qualities in your life show you the reality of God and his promises, then your trust in God increases. And as your trust in God increases and your faith deepens, then your love for that God, same God deepens, and your love for knowledge in him increases, and you just, it's just a circle that just keeps going around and around, and it assures you of the rightness of God's word, and it assures you of the certainty of your faith, and it assures you that God is pleased with your obedience. And so Peter says that this knowledge leads to practice and this practice leads to fruitfulness and the fruitfulness leads to assurance and it all just feeds back in again. And he doesn't want his people to forget that. And so Peter's message to you is essentially you don't have to be stuck in your Christian life. right? If you've been going on sort of month by month, year by year, sort of not sure where you are with God or not sure what you're doing in your Christian life or whether it's fruitful or productive or whether it's pleasing to God, you can... You can You know, you're stuck on the escalator. Peter's saying to the Christians who are stuck on the escalator, you know, you don't have to be stuck. You just move your feet. (laughs) Just move your feet. The escalator will move. The escalator, the power of God is moving you to the higher floor. But you're participating in it. You're participating in it by actually practicing these things by actually taking your knowledge of God and his promises and putting them into practice in your life and building these qualities that he lists here. And that as you do that, you will be assured that you're reaching your destination. And so you don't have to be stuck. Put every effort into practice to know your God better and to know his promises and to see those qualities in yourself growing and then be assured of your welcome in heaven because of those qualities are growing in you and you have that salvation. And be satisfied in the fruitfulness and effectiveness of your life and ministry. Romans 2.12 says, Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And that's what Peter's talking about here. He's saying you have this knowledge. Pursue this knowledge, and from that knowledge, pursue these practices. Now, I say all that in sort of a celebration of true knowledge. When I say that, I don't mean you have to be an intellectual giant in order to let knowledge transform you, right? It doesn't mean that you have to be some you know, brilliant person who goes and gets a PhD and whatever. That's not the kind of knowledge that Peter is talking about here. The kind of knowledge that Peter is talking about here, he's just saying what it means is it's just that you cannot simply ignore scripture. You cannot ignore Bible study. You cannot ignore learning from each other in small groups. You cannot avoid, un, avoid understanding doctrine and still think yourself capable of growing as God intended. I said all of this this morning basically just to say that knowledge is important to God and our knowledge of God is important to our faith. And that if we ignore learning and going deeper into the knowledge of God in Bible study and small group, then we are just as silly as those people stuck on the escalator. We are just as silly as those two people that are right there. And it's obvious to everyone else around them how they, how they can fix their situation. 
And if we don't adhere to and understand and, and, and understand the importance of knowledge, then we're just as stuck. And we look just as silly because we're stuck on that escalator when the knowledge is right there for us to take advantage of. And I honestly do not know a single person of any intellectual ability who's made a serious study of God and his word and has not been unaffected and not been transformed in the way that Peter talks about here. And so what it means is that we can't dismiss the importance of our minds, the importance of knowledge, the importance of putting into practice what we know God has given us. And that we don't, and that we have to put into practice being transformed by, from degree to degree to the likeness of his son. That God has given us the power. We're on the escalator, but the means of our arrival at our destination is putting into practice what we know. And so my encouragement to you is don't stop learning, don't stop knowing, don't stop putting into practice what God has taught you so that you're not stuck on the escalator. The Lakeside Church logo for a long time has said, standing on the word of God. And that's a great statement for any church, to be standing on the word of God. But that statement for our church is only as good as it's real, as our people are actually in the word of God, knowing who God is and standing on that word and his promises. And so my encouragement to you is that that's a good reminder that it's by our knowledge of the word of God that we stand. And to lack knowledge of that word is to fall. And there's really nothing more effective you can do to see those qualities of godliness and holiness and righteousness in your life and to see those practices in place. There's nothing more effective you can do to start to see those in your life than to be studying the word of God and to know who God is. Because it's from knowledge, it's from lack of knowledge that his people perish. And by corollary, it's from knowledge of him that they thrive. And we want to thrive in our knowledge of God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we study it each and every week, and I hope we're studying it every day. Because it is you've given us minds. You've given us knowledge, Lord. This is not just intuition. This is not just feelings. This is not just a blind hope. You've given us knowledge of you, and through that knowledge, we must never forget that through that knowledge, you transform our lives, and you build into us the qualities of your Son. And so, Lord, I pray that for myself. I pray that for this church that we would embrace knowledge, that we would be thrilled about learning new things about you, that we would just build our faith upon the word of God, that we would be eager to study it, that we would be just thrilled about our minds, the minds that you've given us and what you can teach us. And then, Lord, having the knowledge that we would not be stuck on the escalator, that we would not just be helpless and fearful and nervous and worried but that we would take the knowledge we have and put it into practice and be fruitful and be assured of your faithfulness to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.